Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow, with your host, Linda Nazareth. Well, hello, and thank you for joining us today. When you take a job, you want a lot of things from it. Money, obviously, but other things too. You want to know what your future looks like in the organization. You consider the commute. You consider the work hours. You want a good work environment, nice coworkers, a good team. You want the ability to learn things and to be challenged. Increasingly, though, workers want to work for organizations that have all that, but they're also mission-oriented, that have a purpose. That's particularly true for younger workers, maybe, but just in general, a lot of people want to work for organizations that are making a difference. There's nothing wrong with that. But when they make that decision to go to an organization that says, yes, we have this purpose, are they trading things like money? And if they're doing that, should they be doing that? Well, my guest today has done specific research into this subject. Her name is Nsia Hussain, and she's an assistant professor of management at McCombs Business School, University of Texas, Austin. Now, with several co-authors, she wrote a piece for the Harvard Business Review that I saw, and it talked about the fact that workers are accepting pay at mission-oriented companies, and they're making trade-offs. And this is different than when you decide to work for a nonprofit that can't pay you as much as a large company. It's actually going to some of these large companies, but still taking the trade-off. So I thought this was really interesting, Um, interesting from a lot of angles. So I invited her on the podcast. We had this great discussion. Please stay with us to hear it. Well, do mission-oriented companies take advantage of workers? To talk about that, I'm joined by Nsia Hussain. She's Assistant Professor of Management at the McCombs School at the University of Texas, Austin. Sia, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I always like to ask my guests about their own backgrounds. It's an interesting research area. How did you end up doing this? Yeah, so uh, this research was really prompted by the observation by me and my colleagues that Organizations today more and more are talking about how they want to make the world a better place. Uh, You see this, for instance, in job postings that are increasingly um, littered with language around passion and making impact and, you know, wanting to hire people who uh, feel a greater sense of meaning in their work. And, And all of this is wonderful. But we had the intuition that it might potentially have a negative effect on job candidates' willingness to ask for more money. And the reason is that there are these long-standing cultural biases um, against uh, money or associations of money with greed and the idea that money and meaningfulness don't necessarily mix. And so we thought we might test this out in a series of studies. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of parts to this, but you're right about the job ads. I was just looking really casually and I saw one for a library and it starts about, about we are the hub of the community and you can be part of this mission of bringing people into, you know, literacy and everything else. I think, you know, that, that's great, honestly. I, really, it's probably a job, it was an entry-level job where you're um, you know, putting books back on the shelves. But it's great that you can make people feel like they're, you know, part of something bigger. Uh, but, you know, there's, as you were saying, there's a, a lot of parts to this. You talk about something called social impact framing. Well, explain what that is. 
Yes, yeah, so social impact framing is essentially the language that companies use to communicate that their work has a broader impact beyond, let's say, just making money, right? It's about saying that the reason that we're in business is to do something greater for the community. And the way in which they frame their reason for being, the language that they use, that is what we call social impact framing. So it's actually just um, a way in which they uh, associate their work um, with meaning. And, you know, there's obviously an audience for this. I'm hearing more and more about graduates wanting to go to companies that are environmentally aware and uh, really care about their mission. But it's also older people. I mean, some boomers or Xers are burnt out with their jobs, don't want to be in companies that are really narrowly focused and they, they care about this too. What is it that they're tapping into? Is it is it about the pandemic or is it something else? Yeah, so so I want to be very clear that this is actually, in general, a positive trend in many ways, um, because we know from a plethora of research that when people feel that their work does have some sort of positive impact on others, that you're helping the community, that there is some sort of greater meaning, it makes you more intrinsically motivated. It, it, it makes you work harder and it makes you care about your work more and, and love it. So that even if you come back after a really long day at work, you know, and you might be a little bit burnt out or tired, there's still sort of a feel good element to that. Um, and so the fact that companies are recognizing this and trying to tap into it in some way um, is generally positive, but that's assuming that they do it in a, in a way that's authentic or where they're walking the talk and where it's not just paying lip service. And this is something that um, employees, whether it's you know, uh, boomers or Gen Zers or anyone really who holds a job, it's something that they authentically feel themselves um, about their work. I mean, it's hard to answer this, but are people actually trading off money for job satisfaction? Or do you think it's more subtle? Do they not even know that they're doing this? Um, No, I think people do this all the time. You know, when we're faced with any kind of job, it's usually um, a portfolio of benefits. uh, And oftentimes we're trading off those benefits one for the other. It might be location for higher pay. It might be more enjoyable work for slightly lower pay. So these are the sorts of normal trade-offs that we engage in all the time. And in many ways, it's a fair trade-off because it's rare that one job has everything. Mm. I think what we're finding in our research though is that there's a sort of more systematic Um, trade-off that's happening where employees feel that they're not even going to bother asking to see if they could get um, higher pay at certain sorts of companies when perhaps they could. Um, But again, there's such a strong um, cultural bias and and messaging around this idea that money and meaningfulness don't mix and it might be greedy or crass or inappropriate to ask for more in these contexts that they actually hold themselves back and they don't speak up. I'm interested in the research you did around this because you did several different experiments. Talk about that. Yeah, so we ran uh, five experimental studies testing this effect. Um, You know, we started out in a more qualitative, um, taking a more qualitative approach. So we um, just asked people, we, we showed them an experimental condition where we described an organization that uses social impact framing. And then we described a control condition organization that has sort of had a more generic company description. And we asked people, let's say you um, 
you know, wanted to negotiate with this kind of a company? Would you do it in the first place? And if so, why or why not? And so this was very open-ended where they could share any and all reasons that they might have um, for negotiating or not. And we found that unprompted, you know, there were no survey measures in there about feeling like guilty or that it would be a deviation of norms. They consistently in the social impact condition um, said that, you know, use language around how it would be counter-normative. So this was a first um, inkling, and we repeated this um, over several other studies, uh, in some cases using uh, hypothetical but but perceptibly real uh, job postings where people thought they were applying for a real job uh, to show that when we made this sort of tweak in language, people were less willing uh, to negotiate uh, when faced with uh, social impact framing. Um, So we had studies two, three, and four uh, that followed that approach. And then the fifth study actually showed that this effect was consistent across a range of industries. So it's not just, let's say, nonprofits or industries or organizations that are traditionally associated with caring and pro-sociality and helpfulness, like let's say education. We found this effect in a finance-related organization as well, just by changing the way in which it described itself. That's really interesting. So it's not just a matter of, yeah, it's a nonprofit. We know they aren't going to pay that much. You're saying that a profit-making company in the finance industry can actually save on their wage bill if they use the right language. I'm not saying they're doing it purposely, but that's basically it. Potentially, yes. And, you know, there are a lot of contextual factors involved, you know, in the real world. Uh, Employees might have a lot more information about salaries and what the company is able to afford, which might weaken this effect a little bit. but. Um, you know, our effect shows more generally that, you know, absent uh, too much more information uh, that that we can expect this to generally hold across a number of situations. It's interesting because there's always been this weird relationship. When you go for an interview, you're not supposed to care that much about the money. You're supposed to give any questions. You can't really ask, well, how much is it going to pay? Unless you're maybe 14 or 16, you know, going for a, an hourly wage job. But generally speaking, you're supposed to care about lots of other things. Like, what is that about? Because everyone does care about money. Yeah. And, and you know, again, regardless of whether you're in this sort of uh, situation where the company is emphasizing social impact or not, we feel that hesitation. It's just perhaps more so in in this particular situation. Um, You know, I think what's happening there is to some extent um, healthy and and, and normal. And and to another extent, perhaps it can be taken to, um, you know, taken to an extreme. Um, We do generally as organizations want to hire people who care about the work. You know, we don't want to hire people who are um, just interested in the wage uh, because we don't know how long they'll stick around. Right. If that's the only thing that they're interested in, the next time somebody comes along and offers them, you know, a dollar more per hour, they, they might leave. And so intrinsic motivation, caring about the work, that's very important. I think what happens, though, is that when it becomes the only legitimate reason for work, when we start to romanticize it, you know, we can see these effects where people under most circumstances feel perhaps overly hesitant to ask when they might have otherwise been able to. And so um, I think that's what you see going on, you know, and we're seeing it. And and the reason that this is happening is because, again, of this awareness, which is a positive thing, but it's creating a cultural shift where now it's become the only legitimate motivator 
to work. You know, if you're at a cocktail party, right? You want to be able to say that you really love your work. You're so passionate about um, that startup or that community organization or the job that you're working for. Uh, it gives you a sense of status and prestige as well. Um, and so I, I think, you know, that's what we see going on over here. Yeah, it's okay to brag about that. You certainly can't brag about how much you're getting paid, right? So it's a it's a minefield there. Um, okay, so what are the takeaways here? Should companies stop framing things this way? I mean, obviously it's an advantage for them. It's an advantage for workers to know something about the company, but it seems like there's a negative side to it too. Yeah, so so absolutely not. I don't think that that would be um, a realistic or, or a fair um, takeaway from this research is to say, well, we should just stop using this sort of framing because to the extent that companies are actually using this um, to communicate real initiatives, real efforts, um, and a real uh, brand position and a company position that they have, um, they should publicize it. Um, again, because they can attract uh, workers who are interested in the same things as they are. And they can they can attract workers who are passionate and likely to stay and, and work really hard. Um, so that's never a bad thing. But I do think that they can take a couple of steps uh, being aware of this uh, to potentially mitigate any bias they might have against job candidates expressing as well their desires for extrinsic work rewards. So, you know, one of the things they can do is be aware that, and this is from past research, um, be aware that managers have been found to have what's known as a motivation purity bias, whereby they assume that if an employee is extrinsically motivated, so they care about pay and benefits, they're necessarily less intrinsically motivated, so they care less about the work itself. We know that this is actually not true. More of one sort of motivation or one type of motivation doesn't necessarily mean less of the other, but it's an assumption that we make that there's a trade-off between the two. And so what's happening is that not only does our research show that employees are sort of perhaps aware of this um, and they're, they're tapping into that and, and that's being risk averse and asking, but it also shows that companies have something to lose if managers hold on to this bias mm-hmm. because they might be turning away uh, perfectly good workers who otherwise would have been high performers. So there's something in it for companies as well. They're not just, it's not just a a, a do-good behavior um, to help employees by being aware of this bias and trying to mitigate it. Um, So that's one. Um, The other thing is that, again, to the extent that organizations actually care about social impact, um, you know, it would be somewhat ironic if they only cared about it for those who are outside of the organization, right? Taking people in the wider community and not the people who are within the company itself. And so thinking about that, if this is again coming from a genuine place, um, it should question how it's making efforts to better the livelihoods of the people who work for them and, and within within the walls of the company. Um, the third thing I would say is that Companies who care about this, who understand the phenomena and want to do something, can create greater pay transparency. Because one of the reasons that people feel uncertain is because they don't know what what is appropriate to ask for. You know, what can I negotiate? What can I not negotiate? And to the extent that companies make that data available, I think it would reduce, um, reduce a lot of uncertainty and prevent a lot of missteps. Um, in negotiation and hiring situations. 
And that's something that companies have always been very wary about providing the pay transparency part. It was interesting you say it's ironic if they want to help the whole world, but not their workers. It's sort of an extreme uh, example of the intern issue, where if you don't pay interns, you only get some from certain income brackets. You're going to create the same bias here if you don't want to have people who actually have to pay their rents. Uh, Okay, what would you tell the candidates? If they're coming in and they feel bad about negotiating because, you know, here's this important environmentally aware company and they're trying to do all these things. Yeah, absolutely. So first I would say develop your negotiation skills. And that's true in any situation that can never not come in handy. Right. Because what that'll do is that it'll help you avoid being thrown off in unique situations, such as where it's a certain type of company with a certain set of sort of values that are otherwise making people feel uncomfortable uh, to speak up and ask for things that would otherwise be a normal part of a a negotiation process. Um, The second is do research on the hiring company to find out, A, whether they walk the talk, so whether their messaging is authentic um, and and comes from a genuine place. I think, again, to the extent that they're aware that companies actually care about uh, humanity and, 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 and you know, um, social well-being, that they might be a little bit more amenable to conversations about negotiating, even though it might not come across like that um, at the outset. And second, research what pay rates are like. You know, again, what is it okay to negotiate? What is it not okay? You can do that by reaching out to people you know, on LinkedIn or through social media or in your network um, to find out what their experience was like, you know, when when they were getting hired for the job and when, when they're trying to negotiate the next step up. Um, I think speaking about these things in a way that is, um, you know, casual and, and alongside other markers of your interest for the position shouldn't necessarily turn people away and then will give you uh, a leg up when you're actually sitting across that table from your potential employer. Really interesting insights, Sincia. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Thank you. And Sia Hussain is Assistant Professor of Management in McCombs Business School at the University of Texas, Austin. Well, that's it for today. If you'd like to know more about Sia and her work, please take a look at our show notes. You'll see some links there. If you'd like to connect with me, I'm on Twitter, actually called X now, at, at Relentless Eco, and also on social media. Now, if you did like this conversation about the future of work and facets of work, please take a moment and leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really help people to find us, and that helps keep these conversations going. Thanks so much for listening, and thanks as always to Stokely Audio for audio production. To learn more about work and the future, and to see show notes, go to the workandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at theworkandthefuturepodcast.com. The Work in the Future podcast with Linda Nazareth is a relentless economics production.